Welcome to another episode of the Precision Health Pod, where we talk to the people building and experiencing the future of health. Today, we want to introduce Nate, the co-founder and CEO of Ribbon, uh, who is building a better data platform to fuel healthcare and transform care decisions. Nate, welcome to the show. We're so happy to have you. Thank you for having me on, Rachel. Well, I'd love to get started with just hearing a little bit more about you. Uh, How did you get to where you are today? Um, How did we get here? (laughs) So... Ribbon started about seven years ago, uh, back when, you know, Rachel, you and I first met in business school. But before that, I started my career in healthcare consulting with McKinsey and Company. And a lot of my time was spent trying to mine claims data and figure out what the stories were as we thought about how to help hospital systems or health plans or even state governments um, transition to value-based care. And overwhelmingly, the thing that I kept seeing, in addition to the amount of impact that this work could have, was that claims data is not meant to be processed the way that it is. And really, we in healthcare, this was 10 years ago, had no idea how to process all of the information that we were getting in healthcare. And so I left, I joined a big data company in the advertising space, an industry that had started to solve that problem. And I spent a few years there, I joined a startup. And after that startup was acquired, um, I learned a lot and I felt like it was time for me to take that back into healthcare. But doing what a lot of people do when they don't know what to do, I went to business school and was lucky enough to be my co-founder there. And we actually started a care navigation platform that eventually became what has never been health. Yeah, it's such a common story. You kind of see this problem, then you investigate it, but you're not exactly sure what that uh, what that next step looks like business school is a great option for a lot of people uh i'm i'm gonna be the same person to say like hey it's a it's a great place to go explore um as you kind of thought about where you started which was this care navigation platform seven years ago to now you're an api first data infrastructure layer and helping solve some of these biggest data issues for a lot of large companies that other people might know about um how did you make that transition Yeah, a lot of it came down to having empathy for the pain point. So when we were starting out and we had this care navigation business, our whole bet was that we could make care navigation uh, more scalable, that more people could get access to the information that they need to be able to make their care decisions. And so we built an initial platform that allowed people to check their symptoms and research conditions and estimate cost of care, but ultimately with the goal of being able to funnel them into this like find care moment, because we thought that there was so much value there. And at the time, there were a lot of great companies that were predominantly working on call center models. And that is like, it, it works, it's really engaging, it's nice to be able to talk to a human, but those models don't scale. And so you have this huge population that was largely left in the dark when they were looking for care. And so we wanted to service that population. And so we went at it starting with really small employers and then wanted to take it all the way down to like an individual, uh, a consumer driven model fully. And when we launched our first employers as a way to start iterating, we started to get feedback. And at first, people loved the product. We were seeing 90% month over month engagement in an industry where, by the way, like 5 to 10% a year, it's considered pretty good, which a story for another time, but we should have a higher bar there. Um, but then all of a sudden, people started calling in and they started giving us feedback. And our heavily engaged member base became a really angry member base because people were actually using the product. And we'd get phone calls of people saying, hey, I finally got my husband to go see a doctor for the first time in five years. But right now we're standing in front of a bank, not a doctor's office. Why would your solution send us here? Or people were saying, I'm at the doctor's office right now. And they're saying that I'm out of network. But you said that I'm in network. Like, what's happening? And this kept happening. And we realized that we had this massive data problem on our hands. So 
we thought that we were crazy and that everybody else had solved it. We were just like the only idiots who hadn't figured it out yet. So we started trying to build our own data solution to be able to fix that. And when we went to market with that, our competitors started coming to us asking to license that. And for us, the problem remained the same. When people are sick, they don't know what to do and they have a right to have information to figure out what to do. And that was the problem that we set out to solve, that find care moment problem. So it was a no-brainer for us. Uh, we put up an API. Um, having a technical co-founder really helps with that because we were able to iterate so quickly. Spun up an API on top of the database and sign our first customers and we haven't looked back since. So where did you start from the from the data side? Was it helping people find physicians that were in network and at addresses that weren't banks? Or did you start somewhere else? Yeah, we started with a provider directory, um, which is phone numbers and addresses. And I remember trying to explain this problem to people not in healthcare, and they just would not believe me until you ask them to look back to the first to the last time that they tried to call a doctor from an online directory from their health plan website. And all of a sudden, everybody would remember what that's like and the amount of wrong phone numbers, addresses that are wrong, like just the inability to access care. So we believe that that was foundational. Where we always wanted to go was the full record. So to be able to find the right provider based on your personal preferences and the type of procedures that you need and be able to even book that appointment. But the more that we would try to go down that funnel, the more we would realize that without that foundational layer of phone numbers and addresses, you can't do anything else. Uh, You can't find a doctor, you can't book an appointment, you can't process a claim. And so the directory was that first part. Then we layer it on which insurance plan a given doctor accepts. Then we layer it on their cost effectiveness metrics, then their quality metrics. And now we're even launching scheduling via the API. But it's been a very regimented product approach, starting with what most people still don't believe is like the place to go and to focus on, which is phone numbers and addresses. Healthcare is a data nightmare. So it's really great that that you're solving it. And as we think about this concept of personalized care, which our listeners really think about, it's something I think about often, making sure that you're getting accurate data in, whether it's consumer health data or physician data is so important. So as you think about the impact that you're really striving for, how do you see your solution really facilitating this movement towards personalized Mm -hmm. care and like better health, which is ultimately what most of us are building for? Yeah. So I want to talk about two things on that front. Um, The first one is how a care experience should happen. But then second, potentially even some of the downsides of personalization that I think we need to address with infrastructure. So first, how a care experience should happen. Like if I am not feeling well and I go to my health plan, find a doctor portal, the health plan knows arguably more about my health than any other ecosystem solution enterprise out there. Hopefully my doctor does too in a world where they have access to all my medical records, but we're not there yet. And I should be able to say like, I have knee pain and it should be able to just show me two or three doctors that can help treat that based on what they already know about me, my demographics, my preferences, We're far from that. But what is critical is accurate information on the provider. So different people have highly different preferences in terms of what they look for. Some people will say, I want it to be within half a mile of my home. Others will say, I'm happy to drive as far as I need to to find the absolute highest quality provider. And others will say, I need a bare minimum of quality and access because I just want to make sure that I can afford it. And we're making these decisions every day when it comes to doctors. We're making these decisions every day when it comes to any other kind of important purchase or service that we're, that we're going after. And we've blindfolded consumers. We've said, like, not only are we not going to give you any information on cost or quality, we're not even going to 
you know, give you reliable data of where they are. So good luck. And best case scenario, maybe you could Google a doctor or Yelp a doctor, but even then you're not going to get important information. So we're so far from being able to personalize care when it comes to actually finding the right provider for us. And it starts with accurate provider data. And then we can match that based on what we might know about a patient. But again, I think we're in the early days there. The second part is around the fragmentation that I think personalization necess necessarily drives. So my, my hope for healthcare is that for 350 million people in the United States, there are 350 million digital health solutions because everybody has a deeply personal need for their own healthcare solution. And it probably goes beyond digital health as well. But if that happens, like those solutions need to talk to each other. They need to be able to move data around on a patient and I think that that is critical. And I think the same thing happens with provider data. No matter where you go to find care, you should be looking at the same information if you find the same provider. And that's really Ribbon's mission here is to make sure that no matter where somebody's seeking care, they can make an informed decision for themselves based on their preferences for the right doctor for them. So many moving pieces. All of it kind of boils down to the data piece. And then you layer on what the consumer's health data Aspect, yep. like aspect is when you talk about wearables or lab tests or health records and all of that and how that all moves around, it uh, becomes a very complex problem. So glad people are, totally. are looking at solving it. So today, what kind of organizations do you work with? So we work with three types of organizations. We work with consumer-driven healthcare companies. So think of consumer-facing digital health tools or even like find a doctor websites um, the second is with providers or doctors, where we mostly focus on primary care and especially any kind of value-based primary care, um, where the provider is actually on the hook for the total cost of care of that patient. Mm -hmm. um, we love that because the incentives are super aligned and the providers are really thinking about that patient's best interest across every dimension, not just their outcomes. And then third, we work with health insurance companies where we're overhauling their provider directories, helping them manage the really messy world of provider data and provider rosters. But across all three of these organizations, across care navigation, providers, and health plans, everyone's trying to solve the exact same problem, which is how do you help somebody find a doctor when they need care? And that comes back to the information that you're looking at, and then the user experiences that they build on top of that. And that's a personalization element that I think is so important. Definitely. And it sounds like now you guys are going into price transparency, too, and helping people make sure that once they find that doctor, that specialist they can actually afford to pay it. Exactly. Yeah, both that they can afford to pay it and that they know how much it's going to cost. We, we did a lot of research around cost effectiveness and we were trying to figure out like what really matters. And what we were finding is that it's that uncertainty that really scares people. So even for somebody that is like highly likely to be able to afford something, even for somebody who's really wealthy, there's still a massive amount of anxiety in going to see a doctor because you don't know if you're going to get a bill for 50 bucks or $5,000. And we just don't make any other purchases when when like it might come out to uh two degrees to two orders of magnitude away and so that price transparency product is really meant to help enable the consumer or the patient to know that one they can afford it and two that like they can anticipate what that care is going to look like and what it's going to cost them that's so powerful too because i mean you're right we don't make any other purchases without having at least some sort of concept of what the price is going to be i think on the consumer health side, I know you work with a lot of those companies. That's one of the best pieces is you go there and you know how much you're actually going to spend. But for yeah. a lot of the population, they need to use the services, the payers, um, Medicare, Medicaid, their commercial payers. And with that solution, you just have simply no idea how much you have to pay, when you have to pay it, or kind of like 
what you're even getting or if there's ways to decrease the amount of cost when you actually go in for that ER visit or or that even just that physician's visit and get lab testing. Um, yeah. And so I love that you're kind of focusing on that because it also not only enables personalization, but it also enables accessibility in a way that we just desperately need in the healthcare system. Yeah, uh, so too. And kind of thinking about this more holistically, you're a health founder in the health space. You're probably paying attention to your own health. Uh, how do you stay healthy physically and mentally as you're building in this really complex, ever-changing world? Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's a good question. I love that. You know, I think a lot of founders talk about it and think about it a lot. So I think for me personally, the best market for me that I'm staying healthy is that I'm able to, to work out and get exercise. Um, so I try to work out six, seven times a week. And that's valuable, both, I mean, just the physical like element of that, but also just knowing that there's a chunk of time that I can take away every single day to let my mind go somewhere else and get lost in, in the ability to be able to work out. Um, the second part, I think I've never appreciated the importance of what I put into my body more than when I became a founder, because I think it's a demanding job that requires a lot of hours. And it was the first time that I started to notice that like, if I eat something that like, maybe I'm not as productive at like that next nth hour where I really need to be. So making sure that I've just been paying more attention to that. And then I think the last part is um, just around the mental health component and it's, it's an incredibly taxing job. And I think it's a very high pressure job. And so just finding ways, personal ways to be able to invest in that. And so for me, I think the thing that I found most valuable has actually been to find like small reprieves away from work where I can still feel like I'm being productive. And I, you know, some people would say that that's unhealthy, but I think for me, like finding other outlets where I can create something, whether it's cooking or like trying to learn a new language or something has been great. And then you know, my last thing is is the whoop band has been like my favorite wearable that's come out. So I've become like a, you know, I they they haven't asked me to do this, but I've like become a de facto influencer. <laughs> uh, no, it's great. I think I resonate with a lot of what you said, and and I think whatever ways that you can get your mind to turn off, it it actually helps you be a lot more creative and productive when your mind is turned on. Um, as a founder, as you think about working out six to seven days a week is impressive. Um, how do you schedule that? Like, how do you make sure that you're getting that every single day? Yeah, I've actually found that without scheduling that in. I'm actually less productive. So for me, it's usually an evening workout as a way to kind of take a break, um, like level off before even like coming home. And um, yeah, I think I, I think I've just fallen into a routine at this point. Every once in a while, you know, have to adapt and find a time to do it in the morning. Um, but otherwise, I've just found it to be a really nice like break from work before plugging back in on the days that I need to. And is that how you're using Whoop to kind of figure out what workouts you want to do, how hard you would need to push or how else are you using that data? Yeah, there's a couple of things. The first one is very much on that because I have a propensity to actually like overdo it and overtrain. And so the loop is great at kind of telling me when I need to take it easy. And then the second part is I love the sleep scores that they share um, because I thought I was sleeping way more. And a lot of people say like, I don't need it. I know how much I sleep. Because like, we know when we go to bed and we know when we wake up, but we don't know all the things that happen in between. Yeah. And I was finding that there were certain patterns of you know, maybe obvious things, but like having caffeine too late or eating too late before bed, that was actually really affecting the quality of my sleep, which was then affecting my energy the next day. Exactly. And the sleep side, I mean, you can have, think you have no sleep problems, but you might actually have trouble falling asleep or staying asleep or you wake up too early. There's all these different pieces of the sleep that 
the data is the only really going to be able to tell you that because you can know you can yeah. know, but you really need to check in. Um, so I think having that piece is, is really important. Um, I have one too, oh. but I lost my uh, charger, so I need to get a new one. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, I'm on. I feel I'm like we'll, we're going to target an ad soon. Yeah, exactly. Uh, I'm sure I, I will hear from them soon. Um, and then on the nutrition side, do you have any sort of nutrition philosophy? Do you follow any specific diet plan or is it just really something where you try to eat what makes you feel good? Yeah, I, I've tried a bunch of different stuff. Um, I love like experimenting and kind of understanding what works for me and what doesn't work for me. And I've tried keto and I've like toyed with paleo for like a week, but really didn't like it. And like a bunch of other things. And, and ultimately where I've settled is that it just comes down to like uh, a really balanced, healthy diet and like to not overstress over it, um, which for me has worked actually really well. And <laughs> it's actually like, again, going back to like having data on being able to work out. Like I think on the days that I'm, I'm eating and generally know that I'm eating healthy, like my workouts are better, my sleep is better. And it doesn't matter whether I have like three avocados and like butter in my coffee, or I like didn't eat anything out of a paper bag. Um, it just comes down to just like having like whole foods on a plate and, and being happy with that. Yeah, it's also about picking how much energy you can put into each each piece of this, especially as you're a founder of building a company. Um, and on the mental health side, I know you mentioned a couple of things that you do. Do you have a daily, weekly routine? Is there any other tools that you use to manage stress and make sure that you're keeping your mind clear when you think about building? Yeah, um, I think, you know, first and foremost, I think I'm really lucky in, in that I haven't, while this job I find like really intense and rewarding, I can't say that like I frequently find it highly stressful. And I think part of that is just like my natural personality and, and maybe like some weird, um, you know, enjoyment of highly volatile environments. But I think for me, like, I'm really lucky in that just finding time to take like a mindful 10 minutes every single day is something that I actually track to make sure that I do that every day, making sure that I have time to have dinner with my wife every single night after work, like those little things, that's what I need. And then like making sure that I have the time to exercise. And again, I think it's just like finding other channels for me to spend time. Um, I don't do well if I sit still for 30 or 45 minutes. I've tried meditating. I support and respect every single person who does and like I am sure that I would get value out of it, but I just like could not get myself there. So maybe that'll be the next challenge. Um, but I think it's just like finding ways to connect with friends and loved ones and just like finding some time for myself. Yeah. I mean, it's all about what works for you personally. So meditation can work really well for some people. Other people, it doesn't work quite as well. I like meditating for like five minutes and that's about my max. I think it does like a really great reset, but I'm not someone who's going to sit there and do it for 30 minutes either. Um, so well, maybe, maybe you can teach me how to get to five minutes. I think my <laughs> max was like the Apple watch, like 30 seconds of breathing. And after that, yeah. I was done. Uh, it's fair. Um, and then in terms of kind of your team, is it something where you as a founder, you understand this about yourself? Is it something where you help your team on the mental and physical health side? Is it something you guys pay attention to? Um, how do you kind of facilitate making sure that that part of what you're building works? Yeah, a big part of it is um, we talk about work-life integration across the team and across the company. So I absolutely hate the term work-life balance and I, I have an allergic reaction to it because I don't actually think that there's such a thing as balance. Like you're like, either engage in like thing one or you're engaged in thing two or engage in thing three. And like, I know that I can't like 
both balance like having dinner with my wife and like simultaneously balance working when I'm doing that. Like that just means that I'm doing a bad job of both. And so we talk a lot about integration, which means making ribbon work for whatever our like most important lifestyle needs and goals are. So startups are hard, they're hard work. Um, it's, you know, as much as I hope that like the hours can get better over time, like I think we have to accept the nature that when you're moving really fast in a race against running out of money to try to find or like expand a product market fit, it's not easy. And so rather we think about what is it that is critical from like a lifestyle norm standpoint? What are the things that like we cannot miss and then not allowing ourselves and not allowing others to miss that? So for some people, it's like that they need to leave to pick up their kids from school like three days a week at a certain time. And the way that we try to support that is to say like, it's not actually that person's responsibility to, to like enforce that the meeting end on time. It's the responsibility to let people know that that's like their work side, that that's their integration need. But then it's on everybody else to say, hey, um, it's three o'clock. We can't let this meeting go over. Like we know you have to go. So to me, a lot of it comes down to like how we can actually communicate what is important to us and then support each other there, as opposed to trying to find like programs that work for a lot of people. And so we have like ribbonites that get together every like month and like do a spin class or a boxing class. And there's like fun things that they do to kind of self-organize. But I think the most important thing is to really focus on work-life integration and not assume that one thing will work for some, all or most yeah, I love that. I'm also vehemently opposed to the work-life balance comment. Um, there's literally no way to do everything that we do in, in a balanced way. Uh, yeah. You really have to be like fully in it or set boundaries around it and just figure out a way to make it work. Um, and then kind of on that on that piece, how do you think um, about the future of, of health as it relates to teams, as it relates to our o- overall healthcare? Like, what do you see it happening in five, 10 years? Mm-hmm. So- there's kind of two different perspectives here. We've been talking a lot about like personal health and personalization. So I'll start with that and then I'll kind of tie it back to what we as an industry need to do to support that. So for me, I think the most important thing that we can strive for as an industry is that everybody can get truly personalized care. Like there is so much we just don't understand about ourselves, about different disease states, about just like different needs that we have. And I'll even like use the conversation we just had around like mental health as a perfect example. 10 years ago, people weren't talking about it, but it's not like 10 years ago, we didn't have that need. And 10 years from now, I hope that we're talking about mental health, but also other elements of health that maybe we're not used to talking about today. And all of that means that, again, like for 350 million people in the US, you have 350 million different sets of preferences. And our healthcare and health needs to support that. So we talk about like whoop data. Like that's an awesome step in the right direction because my sleep pattern is different than my wife's sleep pattern and what we need from sleep is different. And I think we're going to continue to learn about ourselves that way. And second is on actually having insights, um, having those insights drive action. So that's like where I hope we're all moving and pushing the industry forward. And then tying it back to our responsibility as, as like enterprises or companies in the space that ultimately seek to support human beings and patients. It's, I think, keeping that in mind and being able to build for those needs with the understanding that personalization is going to mean that there are going to be challenges with decentralization and that we have to invest in making sure that no matter how personalized the care is, there's a baseline of features or elements or experiences that everybody has. Like every single person in this country, I believe in the world, deserves to like be able to find the right care for them. And they deserve to have availability of their own information about themselves. And they deserve like accurate treatment pathways when they're sick. 
And I think a lot of that needs to be solved at a horizontal level by the companies being built today, companies like yours and companies like ours. And so I really hope that 10 years from now, we're all like celebrating that everybody is perfectly personalized health and that everything works and data flows. And, and I know that's going to be a tough state to get to, but we can, we can dream and make sure that we get close. That's an ideal state. And I think a lot of us are building towards it. Uh, and as you kind of think about what, how we do that, how we get there, uh, what's your point of view on how AI fits into this, this whole picture? Yeah, um, I I think that I'd love to be able to say like, it's just going to solve it all. And I'm like a huge proponent. And I love like playing with ChatGBT as much as any other data nerd does. But at the end of the day, I think that it's going to take a really long time. And I think AI is a really good sidekick to people. Um, I think that there's going to be elements where we can leverage AI to get better predictions, but only I'm going to know if that prediction was right for me after. And I could like help train that model by saying like, yeah, like I had a great workout. I had a bad workout because of this recommendation. Um, And similarly, going back to what we do as a company, like so much of what we do is AI powered. We're trying to build algorithms to figure out the right information based on a bunch of different data. And we're trying to figure out what information to surface at a given moment in time. So those are great AI problems because there's so much data. Mm-hmm. But still, we show based on somebody's parameters, a set of providers, as opposed to saying, like, here's the one doctor for this person, because all of that is imperfect. And also because preferences change on a daily or sometimes hourly basis for people. And so AI, they can get us close to the truth, but we still have to like be that last file as people. Yeah, I agree. I think it's a really interesting and and potentially very helpful tool to superpower humans, um, really support on clinical decisions, support on provider decisions, support across the board and and getting better products, better solutions as we think about what we're doing, ingesting that data, having knowing more about that person and and being able to push the needle further um, versus solving everything without any humans uh, involved. Yep. And I also think it'll be a really interesting tool um, as we face this physician shortage. How do we do more with what we have? Uh, And I think AI has the power to help us do that. So that also means more efficiency from time, more efficiency from money, um, which are all huge problems that are facing the entire industry, regardless of where you're building or who you're building for. Uh, And then as you think about what's next for Ribbon Health, how do you how do you guys play a role in this? Like, what are you what's coming down the pipeline? Yeah, so for us, we think about like healthcare decisions are really a function of three core areas, access, cost, and quality. And we're spending a lot of time on all three of those right now. One of the areas I'm really excited about from the access front is launching our scheduling endpoint or scheduling API. So I think that every single provider in the country, in the world, we focus on the US, so let's start with the country, should be online bookable. I think that it's absolutely ludicrous that if I like want to order a certain type of food or like get a reservation at a given restaurant near me, I have like 17 different apps that allow me to do that. And then if I need to like see a doctor, even with a solution powered by Ruben, where it's great, where now I can find like all the right information, I then still have to call that doctor, sit on hold, hope they're there, hope no one's out to lunch or like get routed to the right place. And then they're like, sorry, no availability for three months. And so we're launching a scheduling endpoint that's showing both provider availability and also allowing online booking wherever that person is searching for their care, not just on a booking platform. And we want to make sure that that's horizontally available. So we're kicking off with about 15,000 providers live in the platform, which should be closer to about 100,000 by the end of like, by about 12 months from now. Very lofty goals, but really impressive kind of how you're thinking, how you're thinking about going there. Um, And to wrap, as you think about everything you've done, um, 
since starting your career in and around the health space, what advice would you have for your younger self or, or someone that might be starting out in a similar spot to you? Yeah, I think this is advice I'll pair it from somebody else that I wish I listened to more, which is don't let the highs get too high and the lows get too low. I think starting a company is is so hard and the probability of success is so low that we like live for those wins. And then by nature, because of that, the swings to the downside of which there will be inevitably 10x as many as guesses if like we're lucky, um, those hurt a lot more. And so I think that the longer that I've been at this with Ribbon and the more that I talk to folks have been doing so much longer, much more successfully than I have, overwhelmingly that's what I hear is like it's a marathon um or like don't don't let it affect you too much and so much of that to me comes down to like being measured celebrating the wins um not not dwelling on the lows for too long and so for me I have a I have a 24-hour rule where the best thing that can happen like we get to celebrate for 24 hours the worst thing that can happen we get to mope for 24 hours but then after that we like put our heads back down and get back to work and the mission that we're here for it's the kind of piece of advice that I often give as well, said in slightly different terms, but figure out a way to stay balanced mentally um, is one of the hardest things and, and one of the most critical things as a founder. Um, how do you kind of get through? The highs are easier because um, you can celebrate and you're like, all right, I, I know something bad's going to come. But how do you get through those lows? Like, is there anything that you do when you're like, all right, this is bad. This is hard. Like, how do I get through this? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think <laughs> I think that like, Having been at this for a while now really helps and that there have been so many moments where I've been like, this is the one, this is the company killer, like we'll never get around this. Or like I personally can never like find a way out of this. And then like you do, or like maybe you don't, but it wasn't as bad as you thought it would be and the world doesn't end. And so I think it's just remembering those moments and remembering how those felt and then remembering what like four days later was like. Um, there was a funny tweet that I read. I, I wish I could source it. I can't remember who it was, but it said, being a founder is the only job where you wake up one morning thinking you're on top of the world the next day that you're a complete failure and nothing else has changed. And so I think just like keeping that in mind and having the perspective is the most important thing. And then I think it was to your point, like finding like constructive ways to unplug and to do something that makes you happy, whatever that might be. I think like it's good grounding to spend for me to like spend time with my family or to like do something creative that's not tied to ribbon is just a reminder that like there are other things in life, even though this one is so important. Yeah. I, something I do is if it gets to the point where I just can't work on anything else, cause I'm like, this is, this is the end. This is what breaks the company. Uh, I get up. I don't care what time it is. I don't care kind of what else I have that day. I get up, I go outside, walk for 15 minutes or like go do some sort of like movement of some sort. And every single time it helps me at least like come up a little bit to see that perspective. Um, but I think that's true if you're kind of at any point in your life, founders just experience it on an hour to hour basis. Uh, but as you think about staying healthy, trying to figure out what are those like quick wins that you can get to, to get to the next, like keep going moment. Um, yeah. Awesome. I love well, that. Thanks. I'll try. I'm going to try the 15 minute walk next time. I'll let you yeah. know how it goes. It lets you, it gives you, you're like, okay, I'm going to do 15 minutes. Like, that's all I'm going to do. I'll mope. I'll like do whatever I need to do, but I'm going to try to like move through this and then clear your head and get something else done. Um, who knows how productive it'll be, but you'll at least be able to move through it a little bit more. Yeah. Uh, I love that. 
Well, thank you so much for joining us today. This was a great conversation. Um, really excited to learn more about what you guys are building and kind of how you're thinking about it. Um, last question is just how can people find more about you um, online and, and more about Ribbon Health? Yeah, so Ribbon Health is easy to find, ribbonhealth.com. Come check us out. Let us know if you want to work with us. And I am uh, directly tied to that website. So you can find me there and all the social links and everything else there. Great. Thanks so much. Thanks, Rachel. Madden and Mitchell Media.